Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on. Western Conference 15 and 60. Glad to be back at it. A lot of interesting action going on. A lot of teams making some moves over the last couple of weeks. And although we're going to talk about, due to misfortune, the one loss that they've had in their recent stretch, Dane, the Oklahoma City Thunder are on fire right now. They absolutely are. OKC, after their win in Denver on Sunday, up to 23 and 24 on the season. The same record as the Golden State Warriors. Yes, five and two since the last 15 and 60. Their positive in net rating plus 0.2 is 17th in the league. These stats per clean the glass. They are 20th in offense, ninth in defense, which is absolutely incredible. Um, You and I really like that about Mark Dagnalt and his teams. Raptor still more skeptical. 39 wins, which would be the 12 seed in the West. And then Elo is swings more based on how teams are playing. Brace yourself. The Oklahoma City Thunder per Elo projected to win 43 games. And that 43 wins ties them for... Oh, wait, actually, I think I think that... Uh, oh, no, my thing just loaded. Yeah, that ties them for fifth in the West. That's pretty insane. And maybe even more insane is the fact that the fifth seed and the 12th seed are currently projected to be separated by four games in the Western Conference. Now, surely there will be some teams that suffer injuries that fall out of it. Surely there will be some teams that get a little hotter, right? Surely, surely <laughs> that will happen that someone in this morass that the five, the five seed in the West will be better than a 43 win team and the 12th seed will be worse. And interestingly enough, I mean, we'll talk about the Blazers later too. Like they're not even in the Blazers are projected to have 36 wins. So they're projected to be the 13th seed Spurs and Rockets a little below that. So let's talk Thunder here. And before we get into their game, against the Kings. They had a dramatic win tonight against the Nikola Jokic-less Denver Nuggets. And they went to their closing group as they did against the Thunder of late. They've gone with Kenrich Williams at center. They'll bring in Josh Giddy in and out of the game in offense-defense substitutions, but they are largely going centerless. Uh, Kenrich Williams had the second biggest shot of the evening to push it to a four-point lead from the top of the keys, shooting 42% from downtown, although he struggled in the game against Sacramento in the second half. But that puts it to four. Nuggets uh, come back, get a couple of clutch Zeke Nagy free throws on an offensive rebound after a Jamal Murray three-pointer to tie the game at 99 
a very bad three-point shooting game for both teams. And then the Thunder went to a play that they also went to down the stretch of the Kings game, uh, although they weren't really quite in contact at the end of that game. Josh Giddy as the inbounder. Both these teams left Josh Giddy open on the with no one guarding the inbounder. And so Shea Gilgis Alexander fakes a cut up towards the top of the key and then plants his foot hard back door. He's so shifty and Giddy is such a good passer. Got it into Shea and he hit a really tough banker off a pump fake against Aaron Gordon to give him the lead. And then great defense by Lou Dort on Jamal Murray forced Murray into a tough fading leaner after a pump fake going for a 17-footer to tie it, missed it, and the Thunder come away with yet another impressive victory, even without Nikola Jokic for Denver. One other Thunder note before we start talking about Thunder Kings, because we kind of starting with OKC on this. In the month of January, and these stats compiled before the win, though actually he was pretty much in line with this, Josh Giddy in January, 19 points a game, 59% true shooting on 25 usage. And after shooting 26% on threes last season, Giddy's up to 33 now, it is worth noting that Giddy's three-point attempt rate per 36 minutes has actually dropped this year, but good to see them go in at a significantly larger rate, and that's one of the ways that we hope Giddy can grow, and if you can build on this, eventually, ideally, if he can make some pull-up shots with more frequency, then he becomes a different kind of player to guard, but him being this prolific, this efficient offensively over the month of January, definitely encouraging. Absolutely, and he is a, a wonderful passer. There still are moments moments where the chemistry between he and Shea is awkward, but it is definitely improved quite a bit. They'll use Shea actually to screen for Giddy quite a bit. And Giddy has gotten to the point where coming downhill, he's got a pretty decent floater game. Obviously, he can make the passes. They're playing five out almost all the time lately, except when they put Jalen Williams, the big man, in the game. We'll talk a little bit more about him in this Kings game. And now Giddy, I think, is still very frustrating to watch defensively, but I mean, clearly they're he hasn't sunk their defense uh, or they would be a, a lot worse and he definitely doesn't contest very many shots at the rim. Like he's nominally a guard, but he's usually guarding a bigger player. And I think his contest rate is only about 13%, which is very low for a, a bigger player. He doesn't really affect guys at the rim much. But again, I mean, you, you have to be very pleased with what he's done in this stretch. I had a few other just smaller Thunder player notes here, just that I came across as I was doing research for other things here. Darius Baisley has been mostly out of the rotation of late. And one of the problems that he's always had is that he just cannot make shots from two he'll get to the rim and he just can't make him so he's actually shooting per Seth stats 10% worse given the nature of his shots and so that's uh, incorporates how contested they are it incorporates the location on the floor and whether they're off the dribble or spot ups and he's actually not that bad on threes uh, he's 35 percent from three he does have the fifth best shot quality from three of any player who's taken 20 or more he's only taken 43s on on the season his problem is despite being like 610 and pretty good athleticism he's at 44 percent on contested finishes that's basically the same as lamello ball who we were lamenting last week on that and he shoots only 47 percent from two overall so that's been the big problem for him and, and he's not really an impact defender although you'd think he would have the athleticism to do that uh 
Another guy who's kind of been in and out of the rotation, he'll come in late as a defensive replacement, is Aaron Wiggins. And considering that he's a guard, and he plays some small forward too, but he is one of the higher numbers for guards in terms of contesting shots at the rim. He contests 16% of opponent shots at the rim and only allows 56% shooting, which is an unsustainably low number, particularly for a guard. But it just shows you that he's sticking his nose in there. And I thought that was one of my biggest takeaways from this Thunder Kings game, as you're wondering again, like how the hell are these guys who they're playing five out most of the time they don't have a rim protector how are they ninth in defense they're just very connected like they don't really make many mistakes giddy is kind of the only one who does maybe jalen williams will the guard jalen williams will a little bit but especially in the second half the kings you know sabonis is throwing these dimes they're getting quick back doors or they're getting slips to the rim and there's always somebody there. There's guys there to take a charge, or even if sometimes they would foul, but they still, the Kings weren't just getting like wide open dunks out of these plays necessarily. And so there's just a, a connectedness with this team defensively that's impressive. And uh, I, that was just something that stuck out to me, whereas it just there wasn't anything easy for the Kings. Uh, and you know, they shot five of 10 at the rim in the second half. They did much more in the first half, which was more offense oriented for both teams. But it was just very impressive to me that the thunder just they make you earn it defensively and that's worth a lot in today's day and age it, it is worth quite a bit and the thunder you know that execution that they have also at, at times they've gone to deeper rotations for example in the game against denver they played they played 10 guys double digit minutes and they played uh, the other jalen williams seven on his own and that was a game that we you know came down to the final seconds and so going deeper shay's playing a ton of minutes but everybody else has been more manageable and so that's that's a part of the story as well yeah a couple other notes that i had from this one the thunder i mentioned they do a lot of five out they started though with jalen williams and jalen williams the big man jay will as as we uh, have to go if he's actually gonna play i guess i'm gonna have to do this j dub who's the guard versus jay will who's the, the big thing but I, I thought he did a pretty decent job just being a body on demontis sabonis sabonis uh, didn't really get a, a ton just like you know going right through him as he'll do sometimes i thought it was interesting actually we'll fold the kings in here a little bit too that the kings really didn't play hardly any mismatch basketball even though they had sabonis who could have gotten into the post really against any of these guys you know kendrick williams was the guy guarding him most of the time uh, in the second half other than jalen williams uh, on occasion and jalen williams is still a rookie one time someone tried to go at him and he uh ended up getting an offensive foul for hooking trying to get to that left hand you know they've got the likes of isaiah joe who's been one of the best three-point shooters in the nba and was seven of 12 from three in this game uh and basically lights it up it seems like anytime he's out there for the thunder but they didn't really go after him specifically on defense either and he's not like a, you know bad executing but he's super skinny and uh, they definitely would have guys that could try to attack him in theory but the kings they just move the ball from side to side they try to flow in and out of these handoffs and this is something actually that I talked about with an assistant coach when the subject of the Kings came up and he said that their strategy his team was pressure Sabonis on the ball as much as possible and that's a, something that you'll see you can kind of for the guys who the teams who do these handoff game type of offenses 
there's sort of two options, right? There's the one of just let's pressure it up. Let's not make it easy for this guy to do all these handoffs. Or you say, hey, we we can't give up back doors. We're going to lay back to take that away. And then we're just going to top side to prevent the guy from coming off the screen. The Kings do a good enough job of moving the ball from side to side that it's really difficult to top side all of these guys. And a lot of times it'll be like the hand back game with Fox and, and Sabonis where you can't really, it's the guy's not starting out of the corner necessarily. So it, it's fluid enough that it's tough to do that so what this coach pointed out to me that and i saw it on basically every handoff that sabonis did in this game is sabonis it's not really a handoff what he'll do when the guy starts to break free that he wants to hand off to he'll basically just bounce the ball kind of behind him and then just leave it there as it bounces and then and take a step or two so he can get a good solid screen on the guy without the ball and without having to worry about traveling whereas if he picks the ball up and tries to hand off it's just easier for it to get blown up so what this coach's team decided to do was they wanted to pressure Sabonis every time so he wouldn't feel comfortable just like bouncing the ball out behind him and then leaving the ball there and taking a couple of steps and setting the screen they wanted to pressure him so he had to actually do the handoff and then that would enable their guy who was guarding the handoff man the guy who was receiving the handoff to get through the screen because the screen wouldn't be as good i thought that was just a fascinating look at some of the wrinkles that go into defending this because every single time they try to hand off you know it's a little war it's a game within a game and it's so hard to guard that over and over and over again i mean they're running you know four or five guys off of sabonis on a given possession so you're just how much pressure you have on the passer like are you ready to be in position before the guy starts his cut I mean, there's just every single one of these attempts is a war to make sure that like you're getting over the screen you're at least trailing the guy and you just got to do it over and over and over again and when you have a passer like Sabonis and the shooters that they have where you can't go under these handoffs it becomes so difficult to guard. It does. Um, before I, before I slash we forget, let's do Sacramento stats. They are now up to twenty six and nineteen on the season, six and one since the last fifteen and sixty. Seventh in net rating, plus two point eight per hundred possessions. Third in offense, twenty fifth in defense. And the models are in on the Kings. They are lighting the beam. Raptors, 538's model, 43 wins, which would be sixth in the West. Elo, 45 wins, which would be fourth in the Western Conference. Yeah, and certainly the 6-1 and one over their last seven has been very impressive. They'd kind of been hovering around 500 a couple games over. Now they've gotten some separation there, and we'll see whether they're able to maintain that. They also have had just no injuries. Now, Sabonis deserves a ton of credit for playing through the thumb issue that he has. But in terms of missed games, they really, out of their starting five, almost nobody has missed significant time. I think like Keegan Murray has probably been the one who's been most affected. Uh, he was great in this game, by the way. Really broke the game open, working out off of Sabonis hit three three-pointers in about a two-minute period midway through the fourth as the Kings had trailed most of the first two-thirds of the game, and then they broke out to a 3-4 possession lead, and OKC really wasn't able to get back into contact after that. And Murray's quietly just starting to play a little bit better. He had a, a ton of points in this game, led them with 29, and was 5-7 of seven for 3-10-12 from the field, also had 14 rebounds, had a, a nice quick pop off the ground for a, a driving dunk along the baseline off of two feet so uh, he looked really good played 37 minutes uh, in this game which i'm guessing is probably pretty close to a season high for him as mike brown really rode his starters all of whom played 35 or more minutes in this game no bench player played more than 16 as uh, all of the 
them really uh, struggled pretty badly. They didn't play Rashawn Holmes at all because the Thunder liked to go so small a lot of the game playing five out. This is also a matchup of contrast in a number of ways. First of all, OKC is the worst finishing team in the league against a contest. They shoot 52% as a team on contested finishes, whereas the Sacramento Kings shoot 61% as a team on contested finishes. And obviously the efficient finishing of Sabonis really helps there. Harrison Barnes is a good finisher. Murray, De'Aaron Fox, it doesn't get to the rim as much as maybe he used to, but he shoots a very, very high percentage as, as a guard, almost 70%. When he gets the basket, Malik Monk is an athletic finisher. He's gotten a lot better there as well over the course of his career. And of course, they have a lot of shooting to space the team out, so there aren't going to be as many contests. Uh, and OKC, I thought if they could have finished a little better in this game, they would have been right in it. They were only 10 and 19 at the rim, and they flubbed some very easy ones. It wasn't necessarily like the Kings are a really bad rim protecting team, too, but uh, OKC's bad finishing basically, everyone outside of Shea and maybe Giddy to a certain extent are not good finishers on this team. And Jalen Williams, the guard, is a little bit better, but he had some pretty bad flubs uh, in this one, too. So, uh, OKC definitely had their chances. Uh, another interesting thing here is that OKC has a bunch of guys who take basically the most open threes in the league. Most open is in like how open they are, not the number. So if you look at some of these guys who are in their rotation, Poku, the guard, Jalen Williams, Aaron Wiggins, a lot of these guys that they have are taking three-pointers that would be expected to go in by a league average shooter at about 37, 38%, given again, how whether they're off the dribble or not, how open they are, the location uh, per sus stat, and they're a lot of these guys are not making them anywhere close to that. So, and a big part of that is Shea and Giddy set up a lot of three pointers that they're just not making. Well, and and also you could you could say that because of the threat that Gilgis Alexander and to an extent now Giddy present, they're willing to sacrifice those shots because they teams know that those players aren't going to make them at those rates. So you know the the threat sure. assessment. All, but that does make it very intriguing about thinking thinking about this Thunder team. You know, two three years from now when they can either through internal improvement add new talent or most likely a combination of the two have better players at capitalizing in those opportunities that they could be a lot better with those kinds of changes yeah and also i think it's why isaiah joe has been such an effective right player for them. i mentioned that it, they like to run a lot of guard screens the, the thunder play a ton of pick and roll they don't do a ton of set plays in the half court that i could see so it's just a lot of it is just kind of randomized pick and roll with the someone like joe setting the screen jalen williams actually off the dribble i thought was pretty good in this game just getting downhill getting that guard screen you they don't want to help off at joe and so he's able to get down downhill pretty quickly like he's good at rejecting the screen just getting ahead of steam he's got a lot of athleticism obviously Shea is a great pick and roll player as well and I mentioned this game was a study of contrast just the way these guys get the their offense right like okay see they'll try to run a little bit of the handoff stuff through the center Jalen Williams when he's in there but generally he's kind of lost like He'll like he was standing in like Udonis Haslam land on the baseline and like shooting floaters early in the third quarter when they couldn't score at all. Uh, you know, he, he kind of just was getting in the way a lot in the second half. But so 
For this game, per synergy, Sacramento finished 18 plays out of handoffs. OKC had five. OKC had 44 plays initiated by pick and roll, including passes out of the pick and roll, 24 of which were the defense actually committing and forcing a pass and then getting a shot out of it. And Sacramento had half that number, 22 pick and rolls, and only 11 of those uh, were shot attempts directly out of pick and roll. OKC had 11 ISOs to five for Sacramento. I mentioned Sacramento didn't really try to attack uh, specific mismatches uh, as well. So these are just the Thunder, you know, they're big on drives. They're big on just attacking off the dribble. And of course, the Kings, they want to go through that handoff game instead. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house. Get that 100-night trial. They're 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout please remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us we want to go to next here let's go to the portland trailblazers yeah they are in free fall at the moment 21 and 25 and they may still actually be free falling after this game against the lakers they won the second quarter 45 to 13 at home led this game by as many as 24 points lost the third quarter 40 to 20 and then the fourth quarter 35 21 they put up only 41 points in the second half against this lakers defense that does not have anthony davis i mean we'll we'll get to the lakers next after this but it was just a, a spectacularly bad come from a head loss at home to fall to 21 25 i actually talked to mike richmond about the overall direction of the blazers and that's going to come out on his lockdown blazers podcast later this week but the blazers now are two and five in their last seven they still interestingly have a positive net rating they are above water there 0.3 despite being four games under 500 10th on offense 21st on defense and raptor has them for 38 wins that again would be the 13th seed elo has them for 36 wins also the 13th seed again just a comically high number for the 13th seed in the west danny it looked like things were going so well for them in that second quarter against the lakers a couple of stats on that so a 32 point margin is the tied for the second largest not only since the the nba added the three-point shot but since the merger it's so it's the, the 32 points it there are there are a number of other ones that are a 32 the other one most recently was the raptors dropped a 46 14 on the golden state warriors in april of 21 but but so yeah, for those that, that was a game in which like none of the warriors players played i believe in, so in yes one, yeah. and um the all-time record though for those who are interested in or the record at least since the merger i didn't go before that um is the lakers once in a first quarter had a 40 to 4 margin on the sacramento kings um they won that game what what year was that 87 wow yeah that Um, wasn't a great era for the kings no so that a lot if you want some of the dignitaries in that who see there's some of the starters in that game for the kings that i was like can can i see if i can name one starter from the kings in that game sure you get three guesses reggie theus yes hang time hang it together Um, i think he actually was nominated for the hall of fame this year which is absurd he's not a hall of famer um also also otis thorpe and lasalle thompson okay uh, yeah like real nba players Derek smith terry tyler and um he came off the bench friend of the pod eddie johnson <laughs> um and there was the 87 lakers so they had the 87 lakers guys um but so but the piece of history that this game set so it's not just the oh you 30 plus 32 tying all those teams for second best and since the merger before tonight the let's phrase it this way the most a team had lost a single quarter by 
and still won the game was 27 points. There were three three situations where that was the case, two of which the quarter that was the big swing was the fourth. So basically they were ahead by so much that that swing didn't cost them the game. Mm. But and then the other one was um, let me just pull it. I had it. I had already I already got all these stats, so I might as well use it um, It was a Kings Wizards game again. But this time the Kings were on the good side of it. Um, they The Wizards had a 46 to 19 quarter. This is in 2020. So this is pretty recently and lost that game. But so this is the largest disparity in a quarter that a team has ever come back from in the history of the league by five points, which is pretty impressive and not impressive as, as, as you were saying for the Kings or sorry for the Blazers. Uh, yeah. um, this, this kind of just to put into context how rough this stretch has been for the Blazers. Well, well, well quickly, can I ask you a question and be honest? Sure. When you compiled these stats, did you know that the Blazers had lost? Or were you like, oh, I saw that they put up this ridiculous quarter against the Lakers. Like, let's talk about how it, like, propelled them to victory. It, no. It so it's, it's funnier than both of those. Oh, Dan Wojcicki, because I, I, I pulled it and I just sent it to him like because I was just I was doing something else and I just I happened to pull it. And so I just DM'd it to him. He's like. He just asked me, he's like, what is the largest margin somebody has ever had in this and won? This is in the third quarter. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I just pulled it and I sent him some stuff. And then they won. No, I had no knowledge that the Lakers were going to come back and win the game when I pulled it. Uh, oh, it's ever had this. And, and yeah, the, when they lost a quarter by this and then lost a quarter game, by. Yeah. yeah, nobody had ever lost a quarter by more than 27 and won the game. Um, And now now they have. Um, but yeah, yeah. Let, so let's let's talk about the yeah, this this culmination of this miserable oh two and eight stretch for them now. Yeah, two and eight in their last ten, and bizarrely, they're the Blazers' only two wins during that ten games were a back to back against the Dallas Mavericks. Lucas sat in the second end, but he played in the first half. Um, I think this is still true after tonight. They still have a positive net rating during the month, in part because they had a blowout win on January second, which is not included within that two and eight. They played, you know, they played ten games. Um, and point eleven. Um, and notably, part of this is that so the oh, the, the Blazers are zero and six. Um, in clutch circumstances and before tonight their clutch net rating was negative 72 in the month of january i don't know where it went after this game um overall in the season they've been relatively decent in clutch minutes but this stretch is a big part of why the blazers are now underperforming their cleaning the glass point differential by the second largest margin in the nba only the raptors have a bigger disparity on the negative end um biggest disparity total the bucks plus 3.7 so the other side of it um and the other thing that's concerning for the Blazers is they have this, you know, I think it's a three and a three and eight month overall. Their starting five have played in every single game. And I think they've had some some nicks and some nicks and cuts, but it's not like they've been where the Suns were up until this recent week where it's just like, okay, they're missing two of their three best players and things are going they're just they're just losing. And that's definitely concerning. Yeah, and I, I talked about this some with Mike uh, today as well. That the, they're pretty good when Lured is on the floor offensively. I mean, it's, it feels like this is kind of just the same Blazers team that it's always been, except for last year when Lillard was out. Like Lillard still playing extremely well. They're plus five per 100 when he's on the floor. They're not that good when he sits. They're negative five. They're really good offensively when he's on the floor. Not quite as good when he's off the floor. But uh, you know, you kind of get into this question of, okay, is the defense going to be semi-respectable or is it going to be awful? And, or, and is the offense going to be like ridiculously elite or just good? And the defense, I would say, has been respectable but the offense has been just good and so that's why they're pretty much a 500 at this point 
Um, what else do you want to talk about uh, from these guys? I mean, and they've had these clutch losses that have been pretty rough. Uh, they've had a, a lot of these have been at home too, which has uh, been another of the disappointing part because they're usually a pretty good home team since teams have to travel so far to get there. It's like kind of the most isolated NBA outpost. Hopefully not for long. Hopefully. Um, but uh, what I want to talk about is Anthony Simons. And so okay. Simons last year, he broke out more than doubling his career high in points per game on the Funhouse Mirror Blazers. Remember, Lillard wasn't right when he played and missed basically the whole season. You know, last year, 17 points, 58% true shooting on 25 usage when he he had actually been around that in very small minutes as rookie year, but that doesn't really count. He been a, you know, took on a larger role, did a, did a nice job and was like, well, how's that going to shift? How's he going to do with Lillard back on the back on the team and everything else? And the answer is he's doing really well. And so Simon's scoring 21 and a half points per game actually has a higher usage rate than last year, 25.4 and still 58 percent true shooting. And one interesting shift, which isn't a huge surprise when you think about what would be different about Simon's role, a much higher proportion of his twos are assisted, which is a part of the reason why he's jumped from 49% last year to 53. And the year before that, Simon's converted just 40% of his twos. So like, that's a huge, that there are a couple different reasons for that jump. But one part of it is that they're being more assisted and that's in line more with his current season. So he's doing a little bit less with the ball in his hands. But we were struck last year by the, the efficiency that Anthony Simons had as a pick and roll ball handler. So last year, 1.02 points per possession, both as a scorer and including assists, both of which were really good. That's 90th percentile as a scorer per synergy, 77th percentile when you include passes. And his points per possession are higher in both scoring and including passes this year than last year. Uh, 1.024 as a scorer and 1.04 including passing. So that's really impressive. The spot ups aren't going in quite as much as why, which is why the efficiency has gone down a little bit. But one of the important elements of Simon's season is that he's now making 64% of his shots around the basket. And that's a yeah, really big that, positive. That's the biggest difference I see with him uh, on film is he's really kind of added some more creative finishers. Like, like people remember that shot he hit the game winner against Phoenix early in the season, that running hook shot. Like he's added definitely more craft to his finishing where a lot of young, really athletic guards, and we've talked about this with some other guys, they're just, they're going a million miles an hour towards the basket. He's able to slow down. He's able to finish a little bit more with touch, get some more extension on his finishes. So you, you can see why it is that he, that number has gone up. Right. And you would love to see Simons also do something that young guards do, which is get more free throws. And that has not really transpired yet. He's still only at 3.1 free throw attempts per 36 minutes. That's not fantastic. But getting the finishing up has been has been a real positive for Simons. And this is still his age 23 season. So there's still lots of room to grow. When I watch, it still seems like Simons defense is bad. Broadly speaking, that is what the models say as well. And if you want to look at like the defensive playmaking Steal rate is about 1%. Block rate is half a percent, roughly. And that's not fantastic. But EPM, you know, he was bottom 11 percentile in EPM defensively each of his first four seasons. He's 33rd percentile now. Like, that's better. It's still bad. Um, And broadly speaking, I would say that's kind of in line with what I've been seeing. And then the last thing, just briefly on the Blazers, 
They, you know, 116 offensive rating when Lord and Simon play, Simons play together. That's very good. That skyrockets to a 128.7 when Lillard is on and Simons is up. That, that's about the highest number I've seen for any sample size of this. This is like, you know, basically about 350 minutes or so, 759 possessions. That's, that's that 129. That's about as high as it gets for any sample like that. It is. And so that's, that's a positive and I don't blame Simons for the, the offense being really good in those minutes. And then when it's, when it's Simons running the show, 112, you'd like that to be higher. But when you think about some of the roster construction stuff, it's not that big a thing. But then one of the major concerns, and this is a part of why, despite having Damian Lillard on the team and those awesome offensive ratings, they're still 10th in offense is that thankfully it's only about 200 minutes, but when they've played without Simons or Willard, 100 offensive rating. Then that that was always bad, but now in this offensive environment, that's first percentile of all the cleaning the glass splits. Well, they're lucky that there's only had to be 391 possessions of right. so far this year. That's not that. Lillard missed some time with the calf injury and then a recurrence, but Simons, he's been totally bulletproof except when they shut him down to tank. You know, So they don't have that many ball handlers. I noticed... Although Gary Payton, the second, he's still, I think his minutes are still being managed. He said, I think he's still even having some discomfort after that surgery, but he's just trying to gut through it. They have, you know, Gary Payton, the second has a background as a ball handler. Like they actually have been trying to run more stuff through him, not necessarily dribbling the ball, but actually, you know, kind of almost working as a, you know, a point center type where he gets the ball inside the arc and they try to run some screening action and Gary Payton will try to make the pass, which I think that's got maybe a little bit of promise because they just have no overall passing on this team compared to a lot of them particularly good defenses like this let's or good offenses like this anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. 
Let's see, where do we want to go next here? Well, let's get to Golden State. Uh, they've played a bunch of interesting games recently. Uh, I mentioned already that they are tied with the Thunder at 23 and 24. What are the rest of their fundamentals? The Warriors are 3 and 4 since the last 1560. Still a positive net rating. Uh, plus 0.7 is 13th in the league. 14th in offense, 11th on defense. And models project them to finish with 43 wins, which would be 7th in the West on Raptor. ELO, 42 wins, which would be 6th. ELO's just a little bit more negative on all these middle teams in the west and so about a 70 percent chance of making it into the into the eight team playoffs in the west and yeah it was a very weird stretch for the warriors so well i'll lay i'll lay out how things went for first and then we'll talk about some of the specifics so the warriors go into their second game against the boston celtics and for those who who have it has slipped their mind, which is justifiable because it was in December, the Warriors beat the Celtics by about I think it was 16 in um, in December at, at the Chase Center. And they went into the Garden and wild game. Boston ends up winning it 121-118 overtime. Then the Warriors play the next day in Cleveland. So travel plus back to back sit basically all of their principles, you know, the Steph Clay, Draymond Wiggins, I believe as well, and then beat the Cavs by six, then come home, have a couple days off and are up 17 against the Brooklyn Nets in the second quarter and then lose that game by four. Well, and more deservedly, they're up 12 with like six minutes remaining. Nets sure. close it on a 22 to six run. And in both the Boston loss and the Brooklyn loss, the Warriors offense down the stretch really faded. They had a nice lead in the Boston game as well. Now the Boston game, I thought they overall played well. I thought they got open shots down the end, three pointers that they just were not able to make. And, you know, it was kind of a make or miss league. I thought they really outplayed Boston in that game. Overall, Steve Kerr took Kevon Looney out of the starting lineup, put in Jordan Poole. That supposedly is something that they're going to be sticking with because Poole does play better as a starter. And also, if you looked at the plus minus you know, the Warriors starting lineup had been overall for the season, one of the better high minute lineups, but Kevon Looney's plus minus had been really poor lately. Now, not all of that was with the stuff and clay and Wiggins uh, available. And Wiggins has actually really struggled in the past two weeks since coming back from that groin issue and the illness and did not even close today's game, but they went to that group. I thought it was very well cast against Boston because the Celtic who gives them the most problems is Robert Williams. And so that kind of got Joe Missoula to not play Robert Williams until the overtime. And it was just a fascinating, like a very high level of game. Both teams really went for it. Jason Tatum played the whole second half and the overtime and the Warriors went to an eight man rotation as well. They put Al Horford in the corner and Draymond was guarding Horford. And so it was just a cat and mouse game for Draymond to try to help and the Celtics to try to draw help and find Horford in the corner. And Draymond still is one of the absolute fastest guys in the league closing out. Uh, but Horford did get a, a couple of big threes on him uh, late in that one but the big problem still for golden state was just they couldn't hit shots like they ran this beautiful hammer play in the overtime that got clay thompson a wide open three and he just dropped the pass in the corner uh the, the, the hammer play was nice they set it up out of like a high pick and roll with andrew wiggins throwing the pass and clay just dropped it uh so there's they couldn't make shots and then obviously they also uh, didn't execute on jalen Brown's tying three at the end yeah it looked to me like it was Poole who messed that up but it looked like he just completely it, it was yeah he he uh, after Steph Curry made a layup to push it to three but but went early when the 
Celtics were trapping, the Warriors just didn't get matched up in transition. Poole decided to leave Jalen Brown wide open for a three, uh, overhelped on, it was Marcus Smart, you know, where you're just like, yeah, you don't leave Jalen Brown to go help on Marcus Smart in that situation when you're up by three as well. So yeah, that, that was poor execution. Good job by Missoula not taking a timeout in that situation to kind of allow Golden State to be scrambled. Just to, as a general proposition, I mean, this this Nets game, the, the switching defense, they couldn't score down the end. But what do you make of this starting lineup change for Steve Kerr? I think that it can work against certain opponents because it's a lot of shooting on the floor. If you don't, and I mean, you have a wonderful help defender, overall defender in Draymond Green to kind of keep keep things patched up together. And, you know, Wiggins can, of course, take on some of the tough assignments, even though he's still working his way back from these combined maladies. One concern is that, you know, this is the old standard of why why you play your center to start a game is because that's the time that it's most appropriate to have them out there, matches them up with other team centers. The Warriors have had trouble rebounding in a number of those early stretches just because they're they're smaller than the other team is there. I think it's worth a try. I think it's worth seeing how it affects Jordan Poole and playing with Steph. But I think Kevon Looney is often one of the Warriors' five best players. And so having him out there it, it, to close games, it just that's situational. But I think he should be the de facto starter, if not like the everyday starter. Well, perhaps this is an acknowledgement, too, that they're not getting what they need offensively yet from Wiggins. Sure. And that they're not going to not start Wiggins. But if you're going to have a Wiggins who's not making shots and also can't really dribble very much and attack, you know, get get you a few buckets here and there. Now you've got Draymond and you've got Looney and Wiggins. Clay is not really a creator. So maybe that just puts too much on staff. That's another reason to start pool. And they just feel like they're going to get more out of pool. And the issue is just that, like, they're you're basically, like, giving up on being a good defensive team with that group that you're just you're going to try to outscore people and i think pool has had some moments lately where he's looked a little bit better but it's just and it's putting such a big demand on draymond and also on curry like when curry plays with pool he has to you can't hide him defensively like he actually has to guard one of the opponent's better guards and you're putting more on clay thompson as well so i think it's just particularly because draymond has had such a load this year i really would be concerned about him potentially wearing down with this alignment i thought it was memorable in the game on sunday against the nets that there was there there were some stretches where curry and kyrie irving were guarding each other and i thought kyrie generally did a very good job on steph it was yeah, yeah. The, the the warriors were i mean this was a, a criticism of mine of curs of the entire second half is that the nets were low resistance switching basically anything involving smaller players and the warriors weren't using that at all and like so a couple of times late they had got joe harris on steph curry and he could do absolutely nothing and so whether curry got in the lane and was able to get fouled or do something else but they just never really tried anything like that earlier even though those low resistance switches were there and especially when you're playing pool clay and Steph doing those easy things, getting getting the churn going early, that has real benefits because they're not going to help off those dudes. And so I thought there were some elements there. Also, Sunday was a strong offensive performance from Jonathan Kaminga. I, I thought in the second half, the Warriors had very few bright spots offensively, but he was aggressive on cuts, was aggressive in transition, ended up with 20 points of nine on 9 of 15 from the field. And then the other significant takeaway from this game, uh, I don't want to dwell on this, the Warriors went to Hacka with Claxton in the second quarter. They had an opportunity. 
uh, the, and it really worked then. Um, Claxton was, I think he was like, at one point he, he, he was three of six of 15. Yeah, but he was three of 10 at one point. And then eventually, yeah. you know, kind of like what would happen sometimes with Shaq in, in those days, Claxton got into a better, better rhythm from the free throw line, got a little bit more confident. And, but what made it work in the second quarter as they built that 17 point lead was the Warriors were scoring enough in the half court that the, there wasn't that much of a shift in terms of basically you give up those transition opportunities, except that they were getting enough misses they actually were able to run off of some of those so i want to see how that how nets opponents handle that because nick clatchin's been great defensively and so can you the the original hot concept of hacka intentional fouling is to take the player off the floor that is the primary goal the secondary goal is a lot harder to, to, to achieve and that's basically those free throws have a lower ev plus the shift in your offensive success by having to play everything in the half court and the warriors in the first half were able to make that double and then the second half they weren't yeah i mean claxton was plus 23 for the game with 24 right. points and only six of those actually came uh, on free throws also just this isn't the nets portion but noteworthy that ben simmons was not in the closing lineup mm-hmm. uh, he only played 29 minutes uh, in this game and seth curry was and seth always, he always does a pretty good job uh, on stuff and you, Kyrie has always been a guy who is kind of punched above his weight uh, against curry and also uh, obviously likes to go after him uh, on the defensive end so yeah golden state i mean steve kerr said it after the game again like they're they all right three and two road trip then they had the moral victory in boston as well and all right come home no kd should be able to just take care of business i I mean when's the last time other than against the spurs like golden state has not blown anybody out in a long time and it's just the while you you think about yeah these guys certainly are capable of playing really well and competing with and beating anyone on a given night it's just they're gonna have to fight so hard all season it's just you wonder how much they're going to have left in the tank and then also that they're going to have to win probably at least two road series on almost certainly three to even make it to the finals given the way they're playing right now you want to go to the denver nuggets we might as well yeah we should they are 33 and 14 seven and one since we last checked in on them they were primed to have a big month because they had a lot of home games coming up their travel had been pretty hellacious in terms of just never being in the same city for very long the first two two and a half months of the season they had a relatively easier schedule as well and that has all come to fruition with them now being seven one the one of course was that 101 99 loss to the thunder today they are third in the nba in net rating that has really popped up quite a bit over this stretch they are number one on offense 119.8 on defense they are 19th uh, 114.9 that also uh, has improved they were in the mid-20s a couple weeks ago raptor likes them for the one seed 55 wins elo likes them for 55 wins but the two seed and they will be making the playoffs they and the memphis grizzlies are really putting some distance between themselves and the rest of the conference they really are and for the denver nuggets going into what ended up being a loss against the thunder on sunday denver had won nine straight and 16 of their last 18 and there are six losses clear of everybody but memphis in the west and i think they're now only two other teams are within eight losses which is incredibly impressive and worth noting Jokic has now missed the last two games due to left hamstring tightness um we don't have any severe like anything other than tightness there 
And yeah, he also missed that that game in LA against the Clippers that they won without him with with a wrist issue. But yeah, that's uh, Jokic. It's, he's had a couple of times I think where he's missed a little bit of time with a, a hamstring issue. It was actually I think it was in the playoffs last year that it was bothering him a little bit early on. But yeah, that's uh, or no, I think it was actually in Game Five that the hamstring was bothering him. But uh, they've been doing much better without him, even though of course they lost against OKC. Right, and that is a really important part of what's going on in Denver right now is that um, like John Hollinger, the stat he wrote about them about a week ago that in there was a four game stretch where the Nuggets were actually positive without Jokic on the floor. And it's been a little bit different now that I mean, they they beat the they beat the Pacers by 23 in that game on Friday. And then they lost by two at home to the Thunder here. And also, as you mentioned, beat the Clippers by 12 in a game without Jokic about a week ago. And what's different on the second unit. So Jeff Green has been out of due to you know health reasons he it's it, the, it's hard to parse what the rotation is going to be when Jokic gets back because he's he's of course out um but green missed this stretch where the bench has been playing better um also a lot less deandre jordan so typically the five denver nuggets that have played off the bench have been bones highland christian brown bruce brown vlaco conchar and uh, zeke Naji, who started in Jokic's stead today and that has gone a lot better they've competed well defensively i think they've been they've had more vitality offensively and so overall in the year negative 10.7 net rating without Jokic on the floor that will actually improve based on the game tonight but that hasn't been factored in the stats they were negative nine net rating when DeAndre was at center then so far negative seven with Zeke Naji, but that is by far the best of the non-Jokic center lineups because in part the lineups with none of those three have been an absolute disaster but thankfully for the Nuggets that is a fairly small sample now and then beyond the record and everything else the other really positive piece of news for Denver is that their two long injured players the guys that kind of came into the season with question marks have looked a lot better in January Jamal Murray averaging 20 and a half points 5.3 assists on 61% true shooting, which is a season high. Um, yeah, part of that is Jamal Murray before tonight shooting 48% on threes in the month. That's going to tone down. He was one for six on Sunday. Um, and one before tonight, 122.7 offensive rating for the month for when Jamal Murray's on the floor. But that's actually the worst of their starting five. Aaron Gordon had a one has had a 131 offensive rating for this month and 129.2. It's easy to find find those because when you look at the league wide leaderboard in the month of January, it's almost all Denver Nuggets. Um, and then for Michael Porter Jr., who unfortunately is dealing with a um, it sounds like from what's out there, a family tragedy right now. His I believe there's something going on with his brother, his younger brother. Um, Porter Jr., most efficient full month of the season. Um, as Harrison Wynn pointed out in a piece recently, Porter Jr. had nine total dunks in his first 28 games played, then had four in the next two games, and then now, since that piece was out, three in the three games after that. And the quote from MPJ is, I think my foot's getting better, and I think my nervous healing from the back surgery and stuff like that. I feel like I'm getting my legs back under me a little bit. I don't feel like I'm anywhere near where I will be towards the end of the season, but I feel like I'm in a good place overall. And I think you see that when you watch Porter Jr. play. Yeah, and the lack of dunks is something that I had focused in on early in the season. Again, with the the notation that he's really playing the three on offense, whereas he he had been a four previously before the arrival of Aaron Gordon. Another thing that I think is just not getting enough attention overall is the ridiculous three-point shooting season by the Nuggets. They're shooting 40% overall, but per Seth's stats, 
when you consider the nature of their shots, they don't take that many. I think they're averaging 38 game uh, three point attempts. But process stats, they're shooting 4.6 better, 4.6 percent better than the league average when you consider the type of shots that they're taking. Again, that that is whether they're off the dribble or not, how contested they are, and the, the location above the break or in the corners. They are shooting 43.3 percent on uncontested threes and 37 percent on contested threes. Both of those numbers are the best in the league how sustainable is this you know you've got guys like kcp shooting in the high 40s for example even eric gordon is shooting it pretty well not a huge vibe now murray and michael porter jr are very accomplished shooters the murray has kind of waxed and waned at times over the course of his career and even guys like bruce brown has really improved to be at least when he takes them and he's open a, a very solid three-point shooter but still when you consider the career numbers from these players they are shooting 3.1 percent better on threes than we would expect from their career numbers so and again that factors in the type of three-pointers that are being taken so if that were the case you know and they that would make them shooting 31 percent from three or i'm sorry 37 percent from three instead of 40 percent from three if they just regressed all of them back to their career means now you might say hey these guys are older they've gotten better and oh by the way they have the greatest passing center ever setting them up a ton but if you look in particular the career contested percentage of these guys is 33.6 percent and they're over 37 percent on contested threes uh, another thing that's really interesting about this three-point shooting, they actually shoot better on self-created threes, 41.6%. That's an insane number, by the way. Like, that's basically all these guys are Steph Curry on self-created threes. Like, prime Steph Curry on self-created threes. Uh, and they're actually shooting worse on team-created threes, 39.4%. So that might actually belie a little bit this idea that... And Bones Highland actually is another guy who is a, a big part of this good shooting on self-created threes. Uh and he's a, a solid off the dribble three-point shooter but that might belie this idea that it's Nikola Jokic setting all these guys up for great three-pointers when they shoot better on self-created threes than they do on team created so I think they are going to have at least somewhat of a shooting regression the good news is when you have a 120 offensive rating you're probably <laughs> you can uh handle a little bit of regression and their defense has also been better lately so I, I expect these guys to continue rolling despite that but some of those numbers in terms of three-point shooting are absolutely ridiculous for this nuggets team so far yeah they they really are preposterous and the denver though really well positioned for the rest of this that they've gotten a couple wins without Jokic is encouraging i i, I hope that this injury is not a long one and at amica insurance we know it's more than just a car it's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive the hatchback that took you cross country and back and the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Where do you want to go? Let's turn to the Dallas Mavericks because uh, they also have some interesting stuff uh, with their three-pointers I, I want to get to. But first, uh, their fundamentals. Yes, the Dallas Mavericks. 
are 25 and 23, though a disappointing 2 and 5 since the last 15 and 60. Another one of these teams you felt like, oh, maybe they're turning the corner, they're going to go on a run now, and you know, they've had a few injury issues since then, but it's just, you're like, no, no, they're actually, they're just going to be right back in this morass between uh, 43 and 39 wins, yeah. just like, you and, know, and uh, 11 other teams in the West. The Mavs have lost four of their last five, and their one win was dominating Miami on national television, 115-90. 11th in net rating, plus 0.9. Fifth in offense, 24th in defense, such a huge drop from last year. Uh, 44 wins per Raptor would be fifth in the West. 41 per ELO would be eighth in the West. And that's why there's a big difference in their playoff odds, 76% on Raptor, 55% on ELO. And I I cracked up because you wanted to talk about Reggie Bullock. And I had thought about this because you and I have talked about Reggie Bullock more than I think the average NBA podcast, that he doesn't change teams enough for this. But I feel like you could just buy low on him every December or January and then be like, ha ha, I'm going to get all the shooting regression back to the mean. Yeah, he's slowly getting back into it. And it's worth noting, though, that... And I kind of went through Seth's stats and I sorted to just see who is taking the shots with the highest expected make rate, you know, who's basically taking the most open and most catch and shoot three pointers and most corner threes. And that's kind of gives you makes this number higher. And so just for context here, the most open shooters in the league take shots that a league average shooter would convert at about 38%. And then of course you get to the guys who are taking really difficult threes. You know, those are down kind of more in the mid to low thirties league average for that number is the league average, obviously about 36%. So Reggie Bullock is like one of the top five, 10 guys in this stat. 38.1% is the expected percentage on the shots that he takes. That's 10th in the NBA. But based on the way he shot the ball in his career, you would expect him to be shooting 40%. And he's been a couple of percentage points below even what you would expect from a league average shooter. Then you've got Moxie Kleba, 37.9% is the expected value on his three pointers. Dorian Finney Smith, 37.8%. All three of those are guys who don't really do much. DFS said a little bit of a drive game but they're basically just standing out at the arc and getting set up with Luka Doncic and so there are two types of players who have really high numbers here one is the guys that they're just like no you can't shoot your Isaac Okoro DeAndre Ayton he's only taken like 25 three-pointers but there are guys who are just like they are being intentionally left wide open by the defense but that's not really the case with Kleba Finney Smith and Bullock those guys all have pretty decent histories of shooting above 35% on decent five so the other reason you might be that open is as someone is getting you some great shots <laughs> and Luca is definitely I mean he's I think he's probably the best in the league at setting up three-point shooters in part because of just that's what their offense is designed to set up but it, you can just see that these guys are all guys who have pretty good histories and yeah it's nice to play uh, with Luka Doncic it really is you mentioned the Miami game uh, I thought that that was interesting I think they held them 90 points and they went to a tactic that very rarely has happened of straight up double teaming Jimmy Butler anytime he got the ball in a scoring zone and that was after Jason Kidd had really challenged this team and was saying hey we're going to score 120 every night but if we give up 130 we're going to lose and he was uh, quite sarcastic about it and they got a much better defensive effort impressively they're double teaming Butler and they only gave up 23 point attempts 
to the Miami Heat. So that that was a throwback to what made this a good defense a year ago that they really shut off the three-point line. So that that was good to see that they could do that. Miami is not the greatest offensive team uh, that they were able to both double team the opposing team star and take away the three-point line. Usually those two things are, are anathema to one another. They do have some injury concerns. There's what's the latest with this thumb issue with Christian Wood? So they said he was going to be reevaluated in one week on the 19th. So reevaluated about four days from now, but it is a fractured left thumb. So like, I mean, maybe he'll try to play through it for a portion of this time, like Sabonis is doing, but I mean, it, it'll probably bother him for a while at bare minimum. Yeah. Well, fortunately he's right. And he's never struck me as a particularly ambidextrous guy. And they did get the good news, which we talked about last week of Moxie Kleba's return, hopefully being imminent here and possibly even before the all-star break, as he said on the team's broadcast and the numbers with he and christian wood together that has been their best defensive alignment uh they're a 109-4 defensively with kleba and wood on the floor and those lineups have gotten a little lucky in a point three point shooting 34 percent but nothing stands out otherwise luck wise what does stand out is that they are giving up the right shots with that group they're protecting the rim forcing a ton of mid-rangers when those guys are are on the floor and not allowing that many three-pointers either so that's something that you have to be encouraged by potentially one thing that's a little bit annoying about that is that their offense hasn't been that dominating with those two together and the biggest reason why they're 58 percent e-field goal percentage that's like almost top of the league league type of level and that's of course is the biggest component of offense but these lineups with Kleba and Wood, both nominal bigs, have 18% offensive rebounds, which is like basically would be the worst of all time over the course mm-hmm. of a full season. How about Wood in terms of his rim protection stats, uh, Danny? Because that's something that I, I've been very focused on, and particularly because we wanted to see whether he could hold up a, as the only center. You know, we can talk a little bit too about how those lineups have fared. So I would say overall, you know, based on, of course, going to lean heavily on Seth's stats. I mean, my in, my inclination is that it's gone. It's gone reasonably well so far, and with Wood about you know so um, about two points saved per hundred possessions, and so that's you know that's not the the high like the highest you know we're not talking Jaron Jackson here, but it's you know it's in the range and he, the um and it's also different when you play some four and some five. Just like the the proportion of times that you're going to contest is going to be a little bit different. The success rate, so I would say it's not elite, but like doing okay. How do, do you think that's fair? Yeah, he's contesting twenty nine point five percent of opponent shots, and considering he plays some four and some five, you know he hasn't played he, most of that's been with Kleba. I think Kleba would be considered the five in those lineups, but both those guys are defending out on the floor some, and when he contests teams are shooting 58 percent, which is yeah that's about average for a center and you weren't getting, you shouldn't have been expecting more than that necessarily that two points saved for 100 possessions that's actually uh, the same as the guy we talked about last week and his room protection and yaka kongu and that's maybe a little disappointing for a kongu but for christian wood that's actually not too bad if you look at the overall 
lineups with Wood at center and then the overall lineups when Wood plays, they're really all about the same. You know, they're around plus one, you know, 117 on offense, around a 115 and a half on defense. And when Wood is out there, they're giving up a lot of shots at the rim. 37% of opponent shots are being taken at the rim when Wood is on the floor, but they're only shooting 63%, which is a slightly below average number. So it, they've they've gotten by within these Wood at center lineups, but it hasn't been quite as dominating offensively as you would have hoped i i think that but that's probably actually been the greater disappointment to me rather than that like the defense has been so poor with christian Woodard because i just didn't expect much of that particularly because a lot of those minutes have come without finney smith josh green uh, also came back for them as well uh josh green like broke broke someone's ankles and like stepped back for a three in, t- <laughs> in today's game so uh although they did lose at home uh, to the clippers 112 98 I think that's about all I've got on these guys. Where do you want to go next? Let's go to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm, Yes, we are doing their game tomorrow, actually, for the NBA strategy stream against the Houston Rockets. We are. 24 and 24. It's been a nice response uh, for them. I think they fell at one point to 16 and 21 and four and three since we last checked in on them. Considering the injury issues, Carl Anthony Towns still haven't heard much uh, about his potential return. They actually are positive in net rating 0.1. That is actually 19th in the NBA, however, because the bad teams, how can you be positive and be 19th in the NBA? Well, that's because the bad teams are really bad, more so than the good teams are good this year. 18th on offense, 12th on defense they project for the 10th seed 40 wins per after 39 per elo that's uh, would be 12th and they've got about a 40 percent chance to make the playoffs for either of those projection systems what's the latest on rudy gobert's health real quickly before we get into talking more about anthony edwards season the good news is that gobert uh so their game on saturday against the rockets he was listed as questionable and then i think and then was ruled out so that might mean he's getting closer I think he's listed as questionable again for that game against the Rockets on Monday. So I think he's he's on the recovery path, but he's not all the way there yet. Yeah, and for Towns, it was initially reported as a grade two right calf strain. And the Minnesota Star Tribune recently reported, though, that it was actually a grade three calf strain. He's without a timeline to return. And Towns was recently on Twitch and he said, I love my job and love the game. And for you to give me false hope that I can be back in four to six, that's not fair. I just wanted to clear that up because I've been seeing a lot of people say that. So that's interesting. Maybe there was just a misdiagnosis or it just when there was so much swelling, they couldn't accurately diagnose it right away. But yeah, I mean, grade three, that's and that's the sort of thing that, you know, it's so easy to re-injure a calf or a hamstring that that's the sort of thing that may just you're always going to have some scar tissue and some tightness in there for the rest of your career and it's prone to re-injury so yeah i mean to be for him to be without a timeline to return it doesn't sound like he's even like ramping up workouts or even close yet and he's obviously outside of that six-week mark at this point so we can jump to his teammate anthony edwards and when you consider the improvements in season particularly that anthony edwards had last year and his immense physical talent I was excited about, well, what is this year going to be? And we knew there was going to be a big adjustment with Gobert. They've, of course, had 
significantly less time with Towns than we hoped and expected. But what is most striking to me about Anthony Edwards' stats overall is just how similar they are to the full season of last year. It, and it's remarkable. Yeah, we, we talked about that some on the Top Prospects pod, and it, it's continued. It really has. And so on the season, last year, Edwards, 56% true shooting. This year, 56.7% true shooting. Slight uptick in usage, in part because Towns has missed so much time. Last year, 36% on threes, 52% on twos. This year, 36% on threes, 52% on twos getting to the line a little bit more. Um, and it's just, it, it's a lot. It's it's a lot of the kind of those big picture numbers are, are the same. It's good that Edwards is getting to the line a little bit more. He's also taking about 3% more of his shots around the basket. Those are positive developments. They are more muted developments. And when you add in the context that they functionally swapped Jared Vanderbilt for Rudy Gobert, then being better around the basket is definitely positive. And it really stretches into the role that he has with the team um, a little bit less as a spot up and a spot up player, a little bit more pick and roll, a little t- a touch more isolation. And other than like even like the synergy stats per play type are very similar last year to this year. But some of those are really positive. I mean, as a pick and roll scorer, 0.933 points per possession. That is in the top half of the league at 68th percentile and roughly that. Um, percentile when you include passes he's been above average as an isolation player and weirdly below average in transition which I'd be keeping an eye on and then one of the other things I wanted to talk about with Edwards is that he's been an effective spot up player and this came up a little bit in the top prospects pod but last year Anthony Edwards you know he shot 41% on catch and shoot shots and 32.5% on pull up shots and those numbers are very similar as you expect with everything else 44% on catch and shoot 32 on pull-ups and like that's good you know when if, if taking 7.2 threes a game on a pretty hard diet making 36 percent of them like that is a positive and when you consider that edwards is his age 21 season and his one year at uga in part because of the role and what they asked him to do 52 percent true shooting 29 percent on threes so like the growth to here is positive i expect him to to improve moving forward and it's also worth noting that both of his first two years, Edwards was significantly better in the second half of the year than the first half of the year. So if this ends up being like this part is equal to before and he takes a step forward, then I'll be much more encouraged than I am right now. Yeah, and there's been research on this that now the older you get, the less this is the case. But for rookies, that the second half of the season does have more predictive value going forward than the first half. I think it's like about a 60-40 split there as that's what KP came up with when he looked at it. So he could be one of those guys who, who plays better and and then hopefully he can consol- he consolidates his games in the first half of the year and, and then is able to build on them in the second half of the year uh, another thing that's interesting about edwards is he is ninth in the nba per synergy in the number of transition possessions per game 4.8 so that, that's a pretty decent number they particularly considering that with gobert being relatively plotting at this point carl anthony towns being pretty slow russell will do hit ahead passes but he's not going to really like push it down your throat or anything uh that that's pretty good a lot of those are kind of just his own headlong rushes that that he's creating but that's where you want to see him attacking the most obviously you do and edward's efficiency 
hasn't quite been there yet. But I, to me, that seems like a small sample size issue preliminarily. I'm not seeing anything when I've watched the Wolves to be like, oh, he's so much worse finishing a transition. The other thing I wanted to talk about briefly is we have a larger sample now with Anthony Edwards on the floor and Carl Anthony Towns off. And the Wolves offense has been very strong, like 117 offensive rating in those minutes. That's very good. And when you consider that they've, you know, they it's not like they have offensive juggernauts replacing Carl Towns in the lineup. And then one of the other important ones is that with Edwards on and Towns and Russell off, both of them, the other kind of two lead offensive players, 118.6 offensive rating, that's a big jump from last year. And it ties in with what has been kind of my operating theory and we'll do the Wolves off uh, trade deadline preview at some point is the idea that at least for a portion of the time, you can envision this team using Edwards as the main offensive engine and factoring in towns and everything else, of course, is it's easier when you have those two. And another reason, like another data point on that is that when Edwards plays without Russell, his usage rate spikes, as you would expect, goes up about 5%. And Russell is still, and Edwards is still, he's more efficient as an individual scorer. And I brought up the, the offensive rating shifts there. So I'm not saying like, don't have a point guard on your roster or don't do anything like that. But the idea that, oh, if we let D'Angelo Russell walk, we're going to have to do the X, Y, or Z. It's like, no, not necessarily. And they could theoretically, if you had at least some minutes with a larger player that could maybe help you defensively. But that player is going to ha- obviously have to shoot, particularly because, you know, Gobert is going to be on the floor and they often play reluctant shooters at other spots, too, like Kyle Anderson, as great as he is. And when you consider that Gobert has missed time, the time that Carl Towns has missed, the Wolves staying around 500, I actually think is pretty impressive. And one of the things that sticks out to me is just if you look up and down the true shooting numbers for this team, like there's a lot of sixes that are like D'Angelo Russell quietly is having by far the most efficient season of his career. He's just popped over 60% true shooting. Jaden McDaniels, certainly very low usage, but he's a 62% true shooting. Austin Rivers is having his most efficient season. He's only 11% usage, but he's at least making some shots now. Nas Reed has been critically important in this stretch where Gobert has been missing some time as well. He's 61% true shooting. Torian Prince uh, as he missed a bunch of time too but he's 63 percent true shooting so they've got uh, guys who are actually converting on some of these opportunities uh, in a way that you know many of them are kind of uh, well above what would be expected for their career necessarily uh, but uh, i give them a lot of credit particularly for not folding when they're 16 and 21 uh, to get back to this level and uh, we'll say i'm looking forward to doing their game tomorrow at amica insurance We know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
Let's turn now to the Memphis Grizzlies at 31 and 15. They did lose tonight in Phoenix. Chris Paul was back. Obviously, no Devin Booker still. Cam Johnson is back for Phoenix as well. Uh, the Grizz actually have lost two straight after, I believe, winning 11 straight, but they're still five and two since we last checked in on the 31 and 15, as I mentioned. Overall, second in the NBA in net rating is. 6.9 seventh on offense and number one on defense 109.5 is the number one defense they project for the two seed 55 wins per raptor and the one seed per elo 56 and 26 which would be the same as last year they will be making the playoffs so i wanted to check in what if anything is different about this team this year obviously jaron jackson missed part of the season but then he came back and he's been playing at a defensive player of the year type of level john morant is a year older desmond bain has missed some time but he also is playing a lot better than he was last year they lost Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton so what's changed it's eerily similar in a macro sense so they are seventh on offense this year they're sixth when I compiled this which was before this game they're fourth last year everything in terms of the four factors is about the same their offensive rebound percentage is still awesome they're number one last year they're number two this year thank you playing two bigs thank you Steven Adams thank you Brandon Clark they are third in the NBA in transition frequency this year after being first last year although about one percent fewer of their possessions come in transition this year but essentially since Taylor Jenkins came in and since Job Morant came in in 2019 they've been top three in transition frequency every year that's just a hallmark of the jenkins jaw era but they still run a ton even when jaw misses time so i think that's a, a big part of jenkins and that was one of the big things that uh, he took from mike budenholzer in milwaukee half court offense 23rd last year eh, 23rd this year mm-hmm. <laughs> and now their shooting percentage from every zone on the floor is basically just about the same as it was last year they actually shoot a pretty poor percentage at the rim they're a little bit better on floaters which is important because they shoot just about the most floaters in the league that's another thing that say the same their shot distribution is about the same they're actually shooting worse from three this year than they were last year and they're a little bit better uh, overall on mid-rangers than they were a year ago but still no huge deviations i mean the biggest difference uh, that they've had from any shot zone is their 11th on floaters this year and they were 20th on floaters last year so that's a three percent difference in, in overall 44.5 cent to 41.5 percent and as i mentioned they're among the league leaders and taking shots from floaters that's another reason why they're so good on the offensive glass easier offensive rebound a floater where there's been some penetration the defense has to react uh that's another reason why the knicks are very good on the offensive glass they take a, a lot of floaters as well one thing that sticks out a uh, a little bit is they've gotten a lot worse at actually converting their offensive rebounds this year they are 29th in points per possession off of offensive rebounds and they were much better last year steven adams is pretty bad at putbacks so he gets a ton of offensive rebounds he's only less than a point per possession on putbacks and some of those are tips and stuff but so they're not maybe as high percentage of chances but generally the, that's 22nd percentile on on putbacks so that's not a great number Steven Adams has 120 putback possessions. His next highest play type is 69 miscellaneous plays. Yes. <laughs> he does not have a huge <laughs> He does not have a huge role in the offense as a play finisher, uh, although one of the ways in which he finishes a lot of plays miscellaneously are illegal screen turnovers or uh he also gets fouled a lot on loose balls usually going for offensive rebounds. So, uh 69 miscellaneous plays in the season 
31.1% of his plays take place on putbacks. That is not the highest in the league, however. Danny, let's play a little trivia here. Who are the six players in the NBA who have played more than 10 games that have a higher percentage of their finished possessions as putbacks than Steven Adams? Zubats. And actually, no, I'm sorry. There are five of them now after after tonight's action. It I was. feel like one of them is Zubats. Avicii uh. Zubac is 17th. Oh, okay. Now I'm less interested in playing this game again. <laughs> Let me see if you can. I'll give you three guesses. We'll see if you can get one of them. Okay. Because it's, it's, yeah. it's guys who are really small parts of the offense otherwise. Yeah, but also get oh. a lot of offensive rebounds. Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson is number one in the NBA. 44.3% of his offensive possessions. Come I, 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 I actually, a Knicks stat comes up in a different section we'll do. Um, so just just to keep it up there, uh, Jericho Sims. Uh, Jericho Sims is eighth. However, Isaiah Hartenstein is ah! fifth, 33.7% of the time. And you actually had the right team, but the wrong player, Moses Brown. Oh, and then the last guy is another offensive rebounding fiend, Nick Richards with the Hornets is sure. above uh, Stephen Adams and Walker Kessler actually just dropped below Stephen Adams after Adams played tonight and got some more offensive bounds. So finishing up here, going back to the overall Grizz, they're number one on defense this year. They were number five last year. The one thing you can point to that I think maybe you could say augurs well for the playoffs. A couple of things. Number one is that they were fourth in forcing turnovers last year. They are 14th this year, but the defense is actually better. They are fouling less. And they are number one by quite a bit in e-field goal percentage defense, allowing opponents to shoot only 51.6% e-field goal percentage. And the shooting frequency that they're allowing, again, almost entirely the same as last year. And the big difference is that opponents are shooting worse at the rim than they were. It's not a huge difference yet, but they're, they have the number one opponent percentage at the rim, 60.7%. It was number two last year, but they're actually 1.2 percentage points better this year than they were last year. And then they also, this is somewhat luck, but also might be due to their good paint defense. Uh, opponents are shooting very poorly on floaters as well, only 40% on floaters. So that's what goes into, and, and their opponents are shooting 35% from three, which is seventh in the NBA. It's a, a little lucky maybe, but nothing crazy there. So that's how they have the number one best e-field goal percentage defense in the NBA. So they're not as reliant on forcing turnovers. And then it's also good to see that despite the fact they're not getting as many turnovers, they're still getting out in transition nearly as much as they were. So that kind of makes you think in the playoffs is you cannot be as reliant on forcing turnovers and not as reliant on turnover induced transition maybe that's something that will have a little more staying power but of course that 23rd in the nba in first shot half court offense is a little bit of a concern particularly because there may be matchups that steven adams isn't going to be able to survive in as well defensively and then maybe you're not as good on the offensive glass in fact they really got beaten on the offensive glass by the warriors last year that was a big part of why they lost that series was they mostly got beat on on the glass in the warriors wins so i I mean but overall my takeaway is like it's shocking how similar they are to last year but it's also worth remembering jackson missed a bunch of time bain missed a bunch of time so maybe they we will start to see some greater differences from last year well yeah with the growth of those guys and play more one thing i want to note on the grizz 
They do have a really large disparity, one of the largest in the league, along with our friends, the Oklahoma City Thunder, in terms of the difference between their location effective field goal percentage and their effective field goal percentage. One big reason that happens a lot is teams being good at protecting the rim. Like that is you're, one way you could talk about their their defensive uh, yes. location so, effective field goal percentage. Yeah. yeah. So the, the Grizzlies give up the fewest long twos in the league. They give up the second most above the break threes in the league, and they're middle of the road in terms of uh shots at the rim. And so generally speaking, a team with that shot mix would be doing a lot better. But what like there are kind of two big things that I always think about in those circumstances. So one is if you're making shots hard at the rim, Memphis has been the teams have the lowest percentage there and the other one can be opponents missing threes and memphis seventh lowest in terms of opponent three-point shooting and that's you know that's that split there is actually about the same as the thunder which in some ways is more impressive for okc because they don't have jaron jackson or they don't they don't play the same kind of bigs yeah and obviously the defense can have a much greater effect on the opponent's shooting percentage at the rim than they do uh, on three-point absolutely at amica insurance we know it's more than just a car It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, your choice here. Let's go to the New Orleans Pelicans. 26 and 21, but it has been a tough month for them. Brandon Ingram did play five on five, so it seems like his return is hopefully going to be imminent here. We talked last week about how he had hoped to come back on the road trip. That didn't happen. There was this idea that the organization was getting a little bit frustrated with him. So they're two and five in their last seven since we last checked in, and they're 26 and 21 overall. That's their net rating at one point recently was third in the NBA. That's dropped now all the way to eighth, 2.6 net rating, 12th on offense, eighth on defense. They were pretty close to top five in both at one point. Raptors still liked them for 46 wins, the three seed. Elo likes them for 45. That would also be the three seed. 87% chance to playoffs per Raptor, 84% Elo. And yeah, I mean, no Zion since January 2nd. And they've only got three wins in January against the Rockets, Wizards, and Pistons. So some of it obviously is personnel, but there's more to the story there as well. There is. And for the first two and a half months of the season, the Pelicans were one of the most fortunate defenses in the league. Um, opponents were shooting really low on on threes, and that was a part of why the Pelicans were seventh in total defensive rating. In January, this is not the pendulum swinging all the way back. This is the pendulum swinging to the middle. They've been middle of the pack in terms of opponent three-point shooting. Though opponents before tonight shooting a blistering 47% on corner threes, 
And their defensive rating for the month is now uh, in the month of January, 17th in the league, just in January. By the way, 25th in offense during this month. That is, you know, having two of your three best offenses. I mean, that's that's their personnel, right? I mean, they, they, and they can't really make up for it. We'll talk a little bit more about some of their shooters in a second here, but they can't really make up for it by having great shooting once their two of their three best creators are down. It's, you know, CJ McCollum as your best and really only creating offensive play. Player, like that's just not a recipe for being you know a top level offense the way they had been earlier in the season for sure and on the defensive front this was before the the 196 loss to miami on sunday the Pelican, pelicans opponents had the highest field goal percentage in the nba for january on corner threes and shots at the basket 73.6 percent in the restricted yeah. area is that, ridiculous that's uh that's one of the highest numbers i've ever seen in that statistic right and it is worth noting over any the, length of time the pelicans are last in the nba in opponent rim field goal percentage for the entire season too but eighth lowest frequent attempt frequency and a pretty healthy 11th on the season in opponent location effective field goal percentage we're just talking about that in the context of the Grizz um they have had a lot of absences even beyond Zion Ingram which has sabotaged their offense including Herb Jones missing time Larry Nance Jr. missing some time so it's not like the Pelicans best defensive lineups have been bad it's just they've been without a lot of those and also having a worse offense makes life harder on your defense you're playing more in transition you don't get you don't get as many of the the benefits that are there and something else i wanted to look at for the pels was last year a big part of the the one of the most intriguing positives for the team was these kind of lower usage guys doing really well from three and herb jones last year made 34 percent of his threes that we only took 2.6 per 36 minutes attempt rate is a little higher but only making 30 and a half percent of his threes so far so that's not really positive jose alvarado his attempt rate has really spiked uh went from 4.7 per 36 to 7 per 36 and making 34 percent of them so i think you'll you'll live with that especially the the attempts have gotten a little bit more difficult um so like if you're kind of kind of gaming that out then i would say you know alvarado that's a positive but herb jones that's a negative especially because teams are very often including a lot of times schematically just straight up leaving him open yeah herb jones uh, i mentioned that number back uh, with the mavs of like what in seth stats what a really high number is and you the expected conversion rate of your three-pointers and 38 percent is about as high as it gets that's where herb jones is his the three-pointers that he takes a league average shooter would make them at 38 percent and he's one of those guys that it's not like he's getting set up by luka Doncic and he's a career high 30s three-point shooter like he is getting the, that open because they are letting him shoot those and he is not being able to convert making only 30.5 percent on three-pointers well, that's actually gone up a little bit lately it was in the 20s for a lot of the year and Jonas Valanciunas an, another guy who it's taken some threes he'll make some of these had a few games where he's gotten really hot like that Clippers game last year where they're like bringing him off of screens at the end I think he went like seven for seven at one point and uh, he's had another couple of games that have kind of trended a little bit uh, with him uh, making threes but overall I I think again when you look at him being another one of these guys who his expected conversion rate on those threes is 38 percent I think he's shooting 36 percent overall so he's not underperforming but it's also an indication when a guy's three-pointers that he's taking are that open 
which is what that number means, that he's just generally not being guarded. And right. particularly when the guy is has a very high number in the quality of his three-pointers, but he still isn't taking a lot of them, that is a very good proxy for they are helping off of you and gumming up the works for everyone else and you're not making him pay. Exactly. And so that is a big concern for the Pelicans as a potential kind of like playoff issue. And Herb Jones is a wonderful defender, but they... And, and obviously, obviously JV, you know, does some other stuff as well. But when you're thinking about him playing with Zion, it, it makes sure. it a little bit more difficult. Although again, like if anyone can deal with that lack of spacing, it, it's Zion. But yeah, yeah, you're saying with Herbie, he's a wonderful defensive player, obviously. Yeah, he's a wonderful defensive player. But the, you know, are they going to run into some issues where it's making, you know, you put your, you, the Andrew Bogut, Tony Allen situation. Like we've already seen it a few times this year. I wouldn't be surprised if we see it more, particularly because Zion is such a, such an imminent threat that you're going to sacrifice some stuff to try to make life harder on him. And we've seen like the thing that the Bucks did, and I'm sure we'll get a number of different nuances in time on the, yeah, I mean, this, this, this team. Oh yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Finish up first. I, no, go I, ahead. Had a more ma- oh, go ahead. I, I had a more macro point. So, okay. So, go so I'll, I'll go, I'll go micro then this year's kind of lower, lower attempt rate shooting question mark was Dyson Daniels rookie who does a lot of things well. And Daniels on the season, 34% from three, though I'd love to see, you know, his frequency is extremely low. 2.73 per th- attempts per 36 minutes. That's 60 on the season in about 750 minutes. Actually, it's close to like 770 minutes. Um, He's playing about 20 minutes a game. And we'll do a full Dyson Daniels breakdown later in the season once we have a larger sample, especially because Daniels is not playing on ball that much. But I, I did find it interesting that he's shooting roughly 34% on both catch and shoot and pull up threes, but way more catch and shoot, 84% assisted, which means only 16% unassisted. Yeah, and like uh, many of their guys, uh, his shooting is uh, a work in progress. But I, I think given where he was at the start of the year, you feel pretty decent about it. Another quick aside here for a, a Daniel stat that I came across. One of the higher numbers for a guard, though, he's really more playing small forward on this team in terms of who he's defending and just his size but and honestly his role him. his role in the offense too like yeah he's not doesn't no, have long yeah. stands that much so so he's contesting 19 percent of opponent shots of the room that's a pretty good number for that role and in terms of the what opponents are shooting when he contests 69 percent. i mean that's not amazing but worth noting uh, as well that the ecosystem here is allowing a lot of uh, shots uh, at the room I, it, to me it's more about i just like perimeter players who are sticking their nose in there danny would you care to guess which player in the nba contests the fewest or the lowest percentage of opponent shots at the rim oh boy my brain went to Devonte graham in part because my next stat is on him but i honestly is, think it's not guess. it's not a pelican but oh. it is it is someone that we know as being a terrible defender trey that is correct trey young is the the we, we should give that uh, that is a maybe that can be our award for the league's biggest defensive wallflower is who who contests the lowest percentage of opponent shots at the rim of course ben simmons would still pass if Trey were there <laughs> so but, but yeah so that 19 percent though for dyson daniels that's good that, especially for a rookie to to just have the awareness to be in position on those plays to have the desire to make those those plays as a guy who grew up as a guard had in the ball like that that's impressive those he's got good defensive instincts like i expect we're gonna see good stuff from him one last on pelican, one last pelican stat uh Devontae graham in the beginning of the year he couldn't miss 
Um, but since December 1st, he's Devontae Graham's only making 24% of his threes, taking three per game, but in just 14 minutes. So his three point attempt rate is pretty ridiculous. So overall, yeah. 13% on threes and a 111.7 offensive rating in his roughly 1400 possessions. Yeah, I think they finally, even in this, this time when they've had a lot of guys out, I, I think Willie Green is finally just pushing it as much or as Alvarado as he can while still kind of pretending like Devontae is really involved things but yeah Devonte graham is going to make 33 percent of his threes he's not going to be a valuable player for basically any team and you know you noted in here of just like what the rotation in the closing five might look like if they ever get anyone healthy and ingram might be coming back this team just has so many weird players with so many strengths and weaknesses right like cj mccollum is a undersized two guard who's not a great passer that they're asking to play point guard and brandon ingram is the size of a really good defending wing who's not a great defender and he likes to take a lot of mid-rangers it doesn't get to the rim all that much uh shoots to three okay but doesn't take that many threes zion of course is one of the unique, most unique players in nba history Jonas Valanciunas likes to mash heads on offense but he's got these pick and roll defense issues herb jones is a, a great defensive player but we talked about his shooting struggles and i mean kind of the only normal player and there's only really kind of two normal players on this team which are i would say trey murphy and larry nance as just like guys who would just be like plug and play on most teams on both ends and so it's just i still have no idea what this team is going to be i mean my thought is probably that because they have a lot of talent a lot of depth my thought is probably still that due to the fit issues they're gonna punch a little bit below their weight but hey once i was there they're playing great and that was even without ingram and so like what is the ingram zion mix gonna look like it just it really could go any direction i mean i have my theory but it's it's just impossible to know at this point like what this team is going to be and hey you know are they going to keep losing games and like get into like back in the play-in mix by the time zion and and ingram are really back up to speed like that's another issue and so it's just can larry nan stay healthy there's so many question marks with this team and they've flashed this tantalizing form and i just hope that they can find a way to regain that and build on what they had earlier in the season yeah we both do um where do you want to go from here let's get to the la lakers mr larue the los angeles lakers are sorry sorry uh, they're 22 and 25 on the year, three and four since last 1560, including that remarkable, historic, in some ways, win on Sunday night. Still 23rd in net rating, negative 1.3, uh, 15th in offense, 22nd in defense. 39 wins is the Raptor projection. That would be 11th. And Elo, same 39 wins, same 11th in the West. And each of the model gives them between a 30 and a 40% chance of making the postseason. Though there are reasons for optimism with the Lakers, most notably that Anthony Davis could be back soon. It's looking like it could potentially be as soon as this week. That's amazing uh, to think about. And it seems like it's heading in the right direction for him. And I just hope that he can get out there. He's been able to be effective even when he's not feeling 100%. And you can see it in every step that he takes when he's not feeling 100%, but he's still out there uh, as a deterrent and can get their defense to be a little better. I mean, the fact that they're still 15th in offense is pretty impressive. Russell Westbrook, I talked about how he hasn't been particularly efficient. He's getting a little bit better, but you know, still 50% true shooting, pretty high usage and the whole thing about him being in the six man of the year conversation and all that seems a, a little ridiculous particularly because the lineups with him on the floor and lebron off are negative 9.6 per 100 all of that though is the is bad defense which is a 123 in those circumstances but worth noting 
Like LeBron is probably still the Lakers best defensive player without AD and they just have no size other than him. So, you know, you're talking Wendy and Gabriel playing in a lot of these lineups or Thomas Bryant who struggles defensively. Here's the thing that's so interesting to me though. LeBron and Russ on the floor together. The Lakers are plus 10.7 per 100 possessions. Wow. And a lot of that doesn't include AD. Well, and that's the even crazier part is when Russ and LeBron played together with no AD, they are plus... Plus 16.2. It's 776 possessions. It's not a tiny sample. They are a 126.8 on offense with those two guys together. Interesting that when you add in Davis to Russ and LeBron, they're about a plus one. That group uh, has not worked to, together quite as well. And you might say, okay, 127 on offense. You know, I, how are they? That's got to be a lot of shooting luck in there. Well, the Lakers don't really shoot enough for there to be shooting luck. <laughs> So it's actually pretty legitimate when LeBron and Russ are on the floor, the Lakers take 46% of their shots at the rim. They're absolutely assaulting the basket. Like that 46% is just a wild number for any team to be taking. The league average is like around 31% of their shots at the rim. And they are making 72% of their shots at the rim. They're taking very, very few mid-rangers and threes. And now the one place maybe where they've been unsustainable is they're making high 40s in floaters with those groups uh, but they're not you know making a ridiculous number of jumpers or something like that so like i mean that that actually has worked I mean, it's hard to, and if you're getting to the rim for that many shots, and you know, maybe they're Thomas Bryant is probably maybe in some of, some of those lineups too. And so, you know, he's another guy who really finishes well around the rim and spaces the floor for them at least enough. So, like, I think they should actually look at playing those two guys together more. Is, is that crazy to say? Uh, and, and it's been such a rotating cast of characters around them with, you know, Austin Reeves, who's having a, a really efficient season, but he's been out with the hamstring. Lonnie Walker, who was the star for them early in the season, he's been out with, with this knee soreness and is kind of trying to ramp up. He's considered day to day now. Uh, the defense with those two together, I mean, I think this is more, the more unsustainable part. It's a 111. There isn't a, a, anything that's like particularly crazy about the numbers. It's just, uh, just look at it. Like it's just the, they don't have good defensive players on the floor. Like that's not going to sustain. Overall, without AD on the floor, they're 118 defensively. And the really, the thing that they really suck at is. Is they never ever force turnovers uh particularly without ad on the floor and all they do is they don't foul that's a lebron especially he's his ability to not foul is just like absolutely legendary and still be a decent defensive player one nice thing though is patrick beverly has is now fourth on the team in minutes and he's out of his slump he's shooting 34 percent threes now he was in the mid-20s for a lot of the season so he's actually gotten a little bit higher that's really helped a, a lot for this team just to have another competent player out there we'll see how long he can stay healthy here's another batshit insane stat about the lakers lebron james at age 38 is second in the nba with seven transition possessions per game and averaging a very robust 1.2 points per possession in that circumstance I mean, that is a ton that's like him taking a shot in transition seven times a game Giannis is a little over eight and then nobody Shea is third in the NBA with six 
So that that is just such an outlier. And for a 38 year old, I mean, and I've, I've always said like LeBron and Giannis are probably the two most devastating transition scores in NBA history. Magic was you know, an unbelievable transition weapon as a passer and scorer. And maybe Steph at, at his height when Golden State would run just because of the way they forced teams to guard the entire floor in transition uh, when Steph was in his prime. Steph now is takes less than five transition opportunities per game. So that still is just absolutely remarkable to me that 38-year-old LeBron James is pushing the ball like that. And he's he's just been wonderful since uh, AD went down to maintain respectability for this Lakers team when you just look at who's around him. And uh, even if they don't make a move, even if they don't make the playoffs, like last year, they were a complete joke. Like throughout the entire year, the vibes were wrong. They had guys injured. They had the worst supporting cast in the league. Like these guys, at least that they have around him now, like LeBron is playing better. He's actually playing defense. Russ is like playing a little bit more sanely. And they at least have guys who are like playing hard and are good pros and bring something to the table even if they're not a perfect fit like this this lakers team is not a joke like it's sad that like they should be better the front office is kind of a joke but uh, on the floor like i think their coaching has been good like the coaching change it wasn't vogel's fault that they weren't good but he had kind of lost the team like darvin ham i think has been doing a good job so i and they've been an enjoyable watch every night like you don't watch them and you're just like banging your head against the wall like last year and, and that's of course personified by that amazing win they had tonight overcoming the 45 to 13 second quarter and the 24 point deficit let's do one more here before we got to go let's stay at the crypt then and do the clippers okay they Wait, are actually let me check and make sure that make sure that my which of my stats will become out of date tomorrow and actually let's do the spurs <laughs> because <laughs> they play that's good yeah because we, we we want a team that'll be at least like a little bit of a hook uh, for people the spurs the spurs may, may not be a hook although i think actually probably we're going to talk about the biggest possible hook for them in a second here they are 14 32 one and five since we last checked in on them negative 8.9 net rating 30th in the nba 25th on offense actually like that's shockingly good considering the personnel uh, available but uh, i mean when i thought that the spurs might be respectable this year a lot of that was based on their defense but they are 30 at the 120.7 worst defense of all time by quite a bit they still don't even project for the worst record in the conference though 24 wins per raptor 25 per elo that would at least get us i think to the over uh, anyway because they've won so many more games than uh, expected but we'll see i'm not gonna put it past them to uh <laughs> to hit that under as well, time goes we'll, on so it, we'll talk t- about the other Danny, team yeah. nate you brought yeah. up that the, the spurs are dead last in net rating but they don't have projected to be the worst record in the west both i believe raptor and elo have them six games clear of the rockets yeah we'll six? have more to say we'll, we'll have more to say about the rockets after we watch them tomorrow but yes uh we will. yeah what have they lost 13 straight now something like that something like that uh but anyway so Wait, just a quick thing. At some point, the Rockets' lost streak might get old enough, might might get long enough that it's actually old enough to play for them. So we'll have to see. (laughs) So one of the reasons that I thought they'd be better on defense, and one of the reasons they have not been, is Jakob Pertl was one of the best rim protectors statistically in the NBA. Not the case this year. It's really bizarre. And so I wanted to pull a couple of different stats on ways that ways that you can measure this. And so one of them is opponent field goal percentage. I use the NBA's version of this on shots that Pirtle contests. So Pirtle 
this is his third season playing like full, like like not full, but closer to starter minutes. He has contested fourth or more in the entire league shots per game. 2020, 50% opponent field goal percentage on those contests last year, 54.8, which is still very good. Like 50, the 50 is ridiculous this year, 63.1. That is the highest opponent field goal percentage of anybody in the top 10 of contests per game. I'm guessing you already looked at it, but if Nate, if you didn't, do you want to guess the player who has the lowest opponent field goal percentage of the top 10 in contest per game? Well, I, I see it's in here, but I would have guessed yeah. that it was Jaron anyway. Well, no, it's actually Nick Claxton because Jaron hasn't contested quite enough shots yet to qualify. Oh, 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 to be oh contest per game. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Cla- yeah. so Claxton, uh, 50.7 percent opponent shots. Jared Jackson, 44.1. It's just that he's not in the top 10 in contest per game right now. Um, yeah, and, I, and I, impressive for Claxton too that he contests so many shots given their system where he's switching out on the floor a fair amount right. as well. Impressive. And so, and another way to get back to Pirtle is that whether you're talking the shots that Pirtle could test or otherwise, when you're talking about Pirtle's like the Spurs defense when he's on the floor, generally speaking, they've done a, the, like opponents have not made many shots around the rim. You know, they're hovering around 60% most years. That's up to 68% this year when Pirtle's on the floor. Very, very weird. And I, so I watched I watched film and I also looked at some other stats, you know, Pirtle's blocks per 36 and block percentage are both down, but not dramatically so. Um, and there were a few plays where Pirtle was a little late. Often when he was guarding a big who could space the floor, there were a couple with Towns, there were a couple with Jokic where it was like that. But generally speaking... I thought that the film was pretty good. And the the ones that defied my kind of expectations were actually, interestingly, plays where guards got downhill with a little bit of speed. Those like where Pirtle couldn't get all the way back. He's generally pretty good at recovering, but those he had some real trouble with. The, some of them got into his body a little bit. So my inclination right now is that th- this is more of a kind of a curiosity that this isn't like foreboding something fundamentally changing for Yaka Pirtle. But does this mean make potential trade suitors does this make potential free agent suitors a little bit more reluctant because one of the calling cards for Pirtle uh, in terms of a value perspective is that he has been a damn good rim protector yeah and I think if I'm Pirtle's representation I really want to get him traded this year and hopefully to a team that's over the cap that yeah. would be my, my hope to a, a team that really wants to invest with them hopefully you get the extension worked out and Shams uh, reported we talked about this I think last week that they have offered him that four for 58 which is the most that they could and he well turned that down I, I will note Pirtle if he gets traded he basically can't extend because the extended trade rules are even more restrictive for him but right but you can do what Norman Powell seems like he did with the Blazers where you don't extend but you have a de facto agreement and then you just do it yeah I think there are a, a number of times where we've seen that be the case but I, I think also just to go to a team where he'll kind of be trying again it'll be in a better ecosystem and it, he can show as you noted that it is in fact a, a fluke that the rim protection numbers have not been as good this season one other thing i wanted to talk about briefly for the spurs is keldon johnson's three-point attempt rate 
continues to rise pretty dramatically. So 3.3 attempts per 36 minutes two years ago, six per 36 last year, eight per 36 this year. Um, But, and you would kind of expect this with that volume, only making 34% this year after 40% last year, 37 career. And one explanation for a part of this is that Kelton Johnson has already taken more pull-up threes this year than all of last season. And Kelton Johnson has only made 24% of those pull-ups. And, you know, somebody has to take these possessions for the Spurs. People are going to have the ball in their hands. But he is making 37% of his catch and shoots, which is worse than last year as well. And then another thing to watch for, for Johnson is this is the first season so far. And again, partial season. So there's time for the sample to build out where he's been converted less than 50% of his twos. And the Spurs team doesn't have great creation. The Spurs team doesn't have great spacing. But that's a part of why Kelton Johnson only has 54% true shooting. And then the other big factor in this, I just I just thought this was so striking. I was looking at Seth's total usage stats. Kelton Johnson on the year, about 36% total usage. These are other players that are around that level of involvement within their team's offense. Franz Wagner, Anthony Simons, Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, you probably want other players taking more possessions if Kelton Johnson's there, as as much as I like him at times. Yeah, and of course, uh, part of the problem is they don't have those players, and the one who would have been another candidate, Devin Vassell, is probably going to be out for the year. So, yeah, it's uh, looking forward to trying to come up with something for the Spurs next week. Thanks for, thanks for taking care of it this week <laughs> although that portal thing actually is uh, really interesting i think it, and if you're gonna trade for portal you really gotta watch it, him very closely and try to figure out how much of of these issues uh, are real and, and how much is just uh, a statistical fluke and how much is just he's not trying as hard and it's the team around him or whatever it is it, but this is it's a very interesting question if you're looking to trade for him nate are we gonna get deep enough in this at some point that we'll have to do all the stat tracking on jeremy sohan's one-handed free throws <laughs> no though so sohan another one of these guys who has a very high expected field goal percentage on his threes 38 again that's where you're basically as open as threes get and he's shooting 23 percent from downtown and obviously had the free throw issues as well definitely a believer in what sohan is going to be defensively and as a transition guy but he's got a long way to go as well we had a long way to go today we didn't quite get all the way there get through all 15 teams but we will finish those out uh, later in the week just uh we're doing uh, how is it that we are taking even longer i guess we're doing even more research yeah i think just, so we're, or we're less either that or we're way less concise than we used to be that's a terrifying thought uh so i'm gonna try to be more concise and just end the podcast now thanks so much for being subscribers and of course the mock trade deadline is coming up there's going to be a special mock trade deadline sale on a yearly membership so either if you are a monthly member or you're on the free pod consider giving us a shot here also if you're in a difficult financial situation the letter that is pinned to the top of my twitter account at nate duncan mba we are happy to work with you for reduced pricing there are instructions on how to do that in that letter so we never want to lose someone overpriced but obviously we're hoping to support ourselves and our family and and uh obviously pay for uh, the other great content providers that we've brought on here so please consider supporting us with a subscription or a gift subscription as well never a better time to do it than with the trade deadline coming up we'll talk to you all soon at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar 
Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.